Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Sunny Bernal is one half of the dynamic duo of the marketing and advertising firm Motto, but she is also co-author of a phenomenal book called Rare Breeds. We're not talking cows and animals here. We're talking you and I. We are all rare breeds. We perhaps just don't know it. But the subtitle is what caught my attention. Rare Breeds, it's a guide to success for the defiant, dangerous, and different. So I'm going to keep the alliteration going, Sunny. I'm looking forward to a delicious conversation with you about how we can all be defiant, dangerous, and different, and understanding the concepts of rare breeds. But welcome to People First. Thank you for having me. What a wonderful introduction. Thank you. Oh, I tell you, it was fun as I was starting to read the book. Before we dive into there, the inspiration and so on, as with all of my interviews, I want to start with your origin story because mm -hmm. we're all on a leadership journey and it is rarely a straight path from A to B. So flashback, you're a wee girl, you're sitting in elementary school and the teacher goes, Sonny, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer back then? What did you think you would be doing at this stage of your life? Veterinarian. Oh, correlation to rare breeds. We'll go back to it. Okay, so say more. Why did you want to be a vet? Well, I, I had a, a fondness for animals, all things big and small. And I used to uh, study the encyclopedia and look up all of the animals and the breeds. And I, I was really into it. And I, I had that answer from the time I was really, really young to the time I enrolled in college. And that was the path I was going to be on. As a matter of fact, I dropped out of uh, pre-vet. Uh, I was, I was in pre-vet studying to, and wanting to be a veterinarian and dropped out of college uh, just about a year and a half in to start motto with Ashley. In my early 20s. But going from the science of animals to the art of creating brands and compelling, non-vanilla, edgy marketing collateral, help me understand that pivot point. Well, I think that I, so I was moonlighting as a graphic designer on the side. And, you know, hence my background here, for those that can't see or those that are watching and can see, I have a wall of guitars. So I was a musician from a very young age, started playing guitar in my, around the time I was eight years old, grew up around bluegrass and gospel, cut my teeth on that, became a performing musician by the time I was 14 and had kind of gone down that trajectory as well. So I was doing music and um, interested in, you know, be, becoming a veterinarian, I think from a very young age. And then, you know, fast forward, I'm into college. Uh, I'm still in a, you know, musicianship. I'm playing out, playing shows, end up starting to design uh, band posters and uh, band covers for some of the albums and, and artwork, or excuse me, some of the uh, music we were doing and just kind of fell in love with it and fell into mm -hmm. it, really. I, I stumbled upon it. It was not something that I had a dream of becoming. I just started doing it as a hobby. And, you know, about a year after doing that, getting into uh, pre-vet and just realizing that it was not for me and dropping out to start a branding agency and sort of looked around and said, well, maybe I I've got a talent for this and I can do this. So of course I 
get Ashley out of college as well and <laughs> tell her, tell her she's coming with me and we're, we're going to start this thing together. And that's exactly what we did. She was on track to be, I think, a, an English major journal um, into journalism. And I just believed that she could help me and we could do it together. So that's what we did. So tell me a little bit more about that, because at the beginning of the book, you talk about how many times you were sabotaged, how many times you were fired for being edgy, the very reason you were hired in the first place, the number of times you were told that your ideas were absurd or essentially just written off. So what helped you to stay the game and continue to be the rebellious you that's upended the market? Yeah, I think that we, because we had never worked for another agency and we had never had any kind of roadmap prior to that, I believe that it gave us what we didn't realize at the time, but was a competitive edge. And we also did not like what we saw. So we looked around, you know, again, keep in mind, this is 2005. We're in a very small Southern uh, conservative town. There's only a few big players in our market. Mm -hmm. mostly advertising agencies ran by the old guard. And here come these two women, these two young women who audaciously believe that they can change the conversation from what brands sell to what they stand for and believe in. It's why we named our company motto. And it's what we started out to want to do. We didn't know what that looked like. We just knew that what we saw around us looked a little bit homogenized, a little bit vanilla. And we just thought audaciously we could do it ourselves um, or maybe do it better. And, you know, immediately, right, we're met with doubt. Um, you're too young, you're too broke, you're too inexperienced, you're too female <laughs> to succeed in a world where at this point, 60-ish admins are, are, are making the rules. And who do we think we are? We're outspoken. We have a lot of bravado. We may not know what we do, we're doing, but we look like we do, right? Or we believe that we do. That sort of self-belief was, was very strong. And you know, but, but the truth behind it was that we had no money. Nobody knew who we were. We were rubbing pennies together. You know, we were in this sort of small 14 by 14 room in a, in a yeah. warehouse stowed away where nobody could find us. Uh, and the truth was that made the, the first year or two of running the business extremely difficult. And about, I'd say maybe 2007, we're starting to sort of believe that maybe everyone who is doubting us is right. You know, we're looking at each other and we're going, do we really want to do this? Like, what were we thinking? Like we were on track to do this. Like we kind of had a clear path, like being a veterinarian's kind of a sure thing. Uh, what, wh why did we think this was a good idea? Right. So we start self-doubting and, and sort of believing that we're a little too, rogue and no one is taking kindly to that because we didn't realize it at the time, but I think we were seen as a threat. We didn't, we didn't think of ourselves as that, but I think we, you know, in a room full of balloons, right. We're the sharp knives. And, and I think we just didn't realize that to them, they were like, who are these two young women who are coming out and, and being extremely outspoken. And now people are paying attention. And, you know, even though they might be rubbing pennies together, like they can take, they can take our business. Mm -hmm. And so you know, we have this kind of pivotal moment where we, uh, we have this difficult conversation where we're like, we should just give up, you know, we're, we're not making any money. Nobody knows who we are. Like maybe everybody's right. You know, maybe this is just, we're not cut out for this. We're not cut out for entrepreneurship. And we have this pivotal conversation with my dad in 2007. And he says, well, of course, like you two are 
kind of a rare breed. He's like, not everybody's going to love you. You know, some people may even hate you. He's like, but you have mm-hmm. to succeed because of who you are, not despite who you are. Like be all of who you are. Like that is what is going to drive people to, to want you and to, to hire you. And it, it was, it was so interesting that it took us 10 years or so to, to write the book. You know, we, we got that phrase rare breed in 2007 and didn't write and release rare breed until 2019. So we spent sort of the next decade trying mm-hmm. to prove this theory. Like, were we rare breeds? Could we work with rare breeds? What were rare breeds really made of? You know, what, 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 why were some of these people like us kind of obstinate and hot tempered and all, all the things that we write about in the book. Right. Uh, and so it, it, it's just an interesting trajectory that we finally had something to say about it because we'd lived it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? That pivotal moment where your dad stepped in and essentially held the mirror up for you and said, no, stick with it. You yeah. are the role models for everything that you now describe and talk about in the book. And as I say, I love the, the subtitle, the defiant, the dangerous, the different, because I think we all have it inside us. And as oh, a yeah. British woman, I can tell you, I can be all of those things internally. <laughs> but the fear of letting that out and breaking mm-hmm. the implicit rules or even the explicit rules often mean we tamp it down. And yet it's that spark that makes us unique and special that needs to be flame, uh, you know, fanned to get it to a flame that can affect change. So, yeah, I, I think it starts, you, you talk on something really important, which is what we, we saw is that this conditioning, what you're talking about is conditioning. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, and we go into deep uh, detail about this within the book, but uh, you know, back to these seven traits, right? So just to back up and talk about what rare breed is. So rare mm-hmm. breed, a guide to success for the defined dangerous and different is a book about seven unconventional traits that society has deemed as counterintuitive to your success. Like you should not be these things in order to succeed. We have reframed these so-called vices as your virtues. And what I think is happening. And I see, I think we, we saw it in our own career and certainly now of people that we work with and now haven't written the book and get getting emails every day from people who are like, can't believe you just put into words what, what we've been struggling with. But essentially, you know, this conditioning starts at a really young age. Like mm-hmm. you're taught not to be these things. You're taught to mm-hmm. kind of silence your voice, to ground down those, th- those pick- prickly points. And I think over time, what happens to, to your point is that we become kind of silenced and we don't realize that we're being in some way kind of erased or silenced in some way, or that we can't hear our own voice anymore because we're listening to the voices of everyone else. And we, we don't let those parts of ourselves really come to the surface because this is conditioned in our society, even in our workplaces. I think, you know, there's a uh, statistic that like 10% of people can really be their full selves at work. So now, you know, put, put us into the context of being a young uh, kid, teenager, going through high school, you know, then you're in college, you know, your parents are telling you to be a certain thing, or they have dreams for Mm -hmm. you, a life you haven't lived yet, all these sorts of things. Right. And over time, you're just kind of chipping away at who you are and you're not really able to own who you are because you can't hear that voice. So I think rare breed is the permission slip to not only hear that voice, but to awaken it and unleash it so that you can fully lean into those sort of oddball traits that you might have that you've been looking the other way on. I love that. And as I say, it's showing up as our authentic selves and you describe it in the book that whichever of the trait or traits you you recognize in yourself, it's a gift. Mm -hmm. And it's how do you bring that to play 
in a way that is disruptive, is defiant, dangerous, different, but doesn't necessarily sabotage the relationships or what you're trying to do in the world. Right. So you mentioned there, I know there's a quiz, so I encourage everybody listening, go find the quiz. We'll make sure that the link for that is around the show notes here. So you can go and self-identify and find out what are the which of the traits apply to you. Mine was emotional. We'll come back to that. It caught me by surprise <laughs> when it first came out. Um, but you talk about seven traits. So let's yeah. let's talk briefly about them and why these, of all of the traits you could have talked about, distilled to the surface. So can you take us through them? Um, yeah. I'll start with yeah. rebellious. I start with rebellious. Yours, but maybe <laughs> I'm audacious, actually. Oh. Ashley's emotional. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So the seven traits are rebellious, audacious, obsessed, weird, hot-blooded, hypnotic, and emotional. And we went through hundreds and hundreds of different vices, so to speak. And what they all needed to have in common was they had to have a dark side. In other mm -hmm. words, they had to be as powerful as they were perilous. They had to be as, as uplifting as they were undoing. And that, that fine line between being a rebel with a cause and one without, we needed to explore that and not just say, well, go be rebellious and be re a, a positive rebel, right? We needed to explain what, what, do you, what, what happens when you're not, right? What happens when rebellious becomes um, destructive? What happens when audacity becomes hubristic? Uh, what happens when obsession turns into paralyzation or sort of dooms you to this idea of perfection and you an inflexibility and you're not able to uh, finish the work, right? Uh, and so what we found by doing this exercise was that all of them seem to ladder up to one of these seven. In other words, if we looked at obsessed, we could look at things like persistent, tenacious, mm -hmm. um, you know, mad, you know, um, ferocious, like little, little word, different words or adjectives that we could describe. But we were like, but what is like bigger than that? You know, like, mm -hmm. what is, what is it, what does it mean when it ladders up to, to something bigger? And so we kept just kind of saying, well, like this ladders up to that. And we just kind of like went all the way up and we just kept coming back to these seven. The only thing that, uh, at one point we did, we did explore the idea of hubris because we thought hubris was um, bigger than audacity, but then we realized that hubris was just the dark side of it. It wasn't actually the positive. Mm -hmm. You couldn't necessarily be hubris, hubristic and also be positive. It was usually, you know, Icarus fall, you know, going too close mm -hmm. to the sun. Right. Um, so th that, that's, that is how we arrived at the seven and wanted to make sure that when people were reading it, that we were able to really explore what each one of those meant how they needed to be a force for good and what it meant to actually become a rare breed and use one of these seven traits as an advantage. You know, how could it unlock the door, but also how could it close the door? Okay. So before let's talk about audacious and emotional in a, in a little moment, because obviously we can bring it alive and personify it, but oh, sure. I just want to check there then. So are they, are we born with these traits or can we nurture and grow these traits? If I'm somebody who, according to the quiz, I'm emotional, can I learn to be audacious? So let's get that one done first. I, I believe from, from my experience in the studying that I've done is that we are all born with certain traits and innate, innate traits, if you will, DNA, mm -hmm. 
it's, it's why like, um, Carl Jung talks about being a mother and you have say three kids, right. And before those kids can probably even walk or talk as a mother, you can say, oh, that's the, the middle one's the fiery one. Mm-hmm. Right. They don't really, yeah. they're not saying anything. They're not, they're not, they're too young to even tell you that they're going to be fiery, but you kind of just by their behaviors and mannerisms, you're like, well, the, the other one's a little bit quiet. Right. Yeah. And this one's a little bit of a firecracker. You know, that was the dynamic in my family. So my mom was like, when I came out, they were all like, uh Oh, I'm, I'm one of three. I'm the youngest. And she was like, if I would have had you first, <laughs> done. I don't know. Uh, I used to run the neighborhood naked. I was, I was a pretty wild one, but you know, I just don't think they knew what to do with me. And I think these iner- inherent traits were in me from a very young age. I also think that um, looking back from being a, a young, you know, there were certain tendencies. I was very entrepreneurial at a young age, um, as opposed to my siblings. So I do believe that a lot of these traits are kind of maybe already in there. And then, you know, like environmental conditions, parenting, life, mm-hmm. all of the things that, that happen around us, right? Who we are influenced by. We are the result of everyone who's ever touched us, who has ever influenced us, who's ever made us go in one way versus another. You know, my experiences versus your experiences are completely different from one another. But the way I might pursue life or work mm-hmm. through life or my own challenges, whatever those are, and also my own, uh, you know, accomplishments, like they're all being driven by different things. And I think some of that is our own voice. I think some of it is the voices of others. And I also think it's inherently within us. I, back to my earlier point, I do believe that the conditioning throughout time often forces a lot of rare breeds that perhaps would have shown themselves or revealed themselves maybe a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. often, uh, don't reveal themselves because of all those things that, I'm referring to, but the difference between someone who's a rare breed and someone who's not is while everyone else is kind of, uh, you know, pushing down those traits and pushing Mm -hmm. down kind of the the true spirit of who they are. Rare breeds are like, this is who I am. Like I can't be anybody other than who I am. And I'm going to lean into this fully and I'm going to let this off the leash. I'm really going to celebrate this. And, and that character arc is really important because rare breeds who we have now known to come and love who have been iconic that we all can sort of point to like the lady Gaga's of the world, right? The Rosa Parks of the world, like Martin Luther King, like all the people that we've come to know and love is kind of these rare breeds throughout time. Even Elon Musk, I, I would, I would absolutely say is a rare breed the difference between them and everybody else is now they've kind of keyed into this and they're like, aha, Mm -hmm. like I, I, this, this audacity that I have is like going to put people on Mars, right? Like I have drank my own Kool-Aid to the point that I believe that we will do this. And then everyone else around them is like, yes, we can. But the difference is, is, you know, of course, are there, are there the dark side of that? And is there, uh, you know, are we, are we advocating for, you know, r- rare breeds that are, that are evil, like absolutely not. But I, I would argue that some of the most influential uh, people throughout time have also been some of the most destructive, you know, and that's why we wanted to talk a lot about what it means to really embrace that goodness and to use your rare breed tra- traits as a force for good, uh, not, not yeah. the opposite. I love that. So it's being intentional and again, yeah, knowing what channel, what, what inspires and engages us, what drives us, and then in, in tapping into that in a way that helps move everybody forward. Right. So you shared that yours is audacious and you describe that in the book as um, the ability to see realities that other people can't see and have the nerve 
to try to bring them into being, even when everyone else says they are impossible. It sounds like the journey you share about motto, but help, help us understand how you personify that. So as people are listening, maybe they can connect with that. And of course, take the quiz, go find out. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, audacity is a really interesting one. I think audacious people move the world forward. I think they dream extremely big. They have major egos most of the time. Uh, th they look around and they're just like, why is that impossible? You know, I, I a great example of this that we talk into the book is uh, when we wrote Rare Breed, the original manuscript for Rare Breed, excuse me, the original proposal for Rare Breed was was rejected 19 times. And our agent, it, it got, it got rejected by every major publisher. And at the time we didn't really realize that we were writing a book that was bigger than like a branding book or a traditional business book. Like we just, at the time we just kind of figured like, well, this is what we know, right? This is our industry. So we, we should write a book that kind of is tailored to that. And so, you know, we, we, the first premise of rare breed was all wrong. It was just not the right framework. It wasn't really positioned correctly, but anyway, we submitted it and, you know, much to our disappointment, you know, we got, I think something like 19 rejection letters. Well, our agent comes back and says, okay, you know, you've, you've, uh, you've been rejected. Like it's kind of done, you know, you can, you can rewrite it if you want and we can try again but you can't call it rare breed. And I'm like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, what do you mean we can't call it rare breed? And she's like, you can't call it rare breed. She's like, they've already told you no. Like this is, this is pretty, pretty common in the industry, you know, in the, in the publishing world. Like you cannot go back and with the same name because they've all, you're going to piss them off. Like you've already, they've already told you no. And I was like, there is no other name. No, there is no other name. I'm like, rare breed is the concept. Rare breed is the name and it will be the name. And she's like, oh gosh, you know, and even Ash is like, I don't know, Sonny, like maybe we should just call it something, you know, I don't know, like maybe, she, you know, let's take her advice. She's, you know, she's trying to be the voice of reason, but you know, I'm unreasonable. Like I'm, I'm, you cannot tell me no. And so I, I just was like, there's, I'm like, we're going to rewrite it. So in the, in the book, we tell a little bit about the story and it's, it's much deeper than the story I'm about to tell, but it's, it's fascinating because we literally tacked up every rejection letter that we had around us on the wall. And we rewrote rare breed to every single one of those no's. And I was like, I will turn every single one of those into a yes. I will find a way to turn every single one of those people that told us no into a yes. And so when we ended up rewriting it, of course, we gave it back to our agent. She's just like, you know, shaking her head and like, you, you're not listening. Like, you just, I'm telling you right now, this is like, we're, we're, this could ruin my reputation. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't, I don't care. I'm like, I, we're going to fight for it. And she goes back out. I think very unwillingly, but she did go back out. I think I convinced her um, to just, you know, take another shot. And we went back out and it went to a bidding war. And so some of the people that had said no ended up saying yes. And it was a very, very validating moment because I was like, that, that is audacity. You know, um, there's another uh, story we tell a little bit about Ashley um, going to a competition when she's 22 years old and goes to the practice pitch. It's we're like lots on the line. We're up there to pitch our company and win this women entrepreneurial package where we win money and um, press and, you know, just, just kind of the dream entrepreneurial package that you can get. 
uh, when you're that age and you're trying to like get your business off the ground and she goes up and she gets booed. Um, they're just like, you don't know your business. I don't know why you're here. We're like the youngest women in the competition, by the way. And, uh, you know, she was like, I'm going home. Like, let's go home. And I'm like, well, why, you know, I'm like, why, like, what are you talking about? I'm like, we can't go home. I'm like, if we leave, I'm like, they won. Yeah. I'm like, you can't just, I was like, this is like your reputation. I'm like, we have to go back up there. I'm like, you can't let them tell you who you are. I'm like, let's show them who we are. You know, I was like, you just got nervous. I'm like, let's just go back up there. Lo and behold, next day I got convinced her to go back up there, you know, and, and, and that was her audacity showing up. She goes up there, she pitches the company. We end up winning it. She gets a standing ovation from the people that had booed her the day before. And, uh, you know, that was audacity and audacity is wrestling your vision forward in a world that's trying to stop you. And that is what we believe in. And I think that's audacity at work. And it's why I think the world moves forward with, we, we need audacious people. We need those outrageous thinkers because otherwise, what are we doing? You know, why, why, yeah. why not dream bigger and push for more? Um, that's just the philosophy that we really hold. And we've seen it time and time again, work. I just love those two stories, real world stories that bring it to life, because as the title of the book says, we need people who are defiant, dangerous and different. Otherwise, we're just becoming a beige conglomerate of nothingness. And it reminds me of a quote I read in the book that said, what if you could change your future, not by becoming someone else, but by going all in on who you are? And that that quote alone just caused me to pause because so often we self-subjugate who we are. And as you've just shared, standing in your truth, having the courage to go back to those publishers who'd said no and getting them into a bidding war, that's by going all in on who you are and what you believe around rare breeds. Yeah, but not without people telling you that you have gone mad. You, and, 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 and not without them telling you that you're like about to piss everybody off. Mm -hmm. You're going to ruin your name. You're going to ruin your reputation. You're going to come off as difficult. You're going to come off as defiant. You're going to come off as dangerous, but that's why we wrote, we wrote the book for those people, you know, who, who literally stopped short of the yes. I mean, they mm -hmm. hear no and like, no is forever. I hear no. And I'm like, I just need one. I just need one. Yes. You know, I, I just don't see it that way. And it, it, it's, it drives other people crazy. You know, it, it's the thing that they probably love about me the most because it's the thing that I think allows me to do some pretty extraordinary things. Like once they kind of see it and they're like, okay, all right, she's not gone mad. Like, all right, all right. You know, but, but not without trying to pull you down. Yeah. They, they're going to pull, they're going to pull your legs down, pull your arms down. They're going to try to wrap their hands around your ankles because they, they can't see it. So because they can't see it, they don't believe you will be able to see it or realize it or make it into being. But that's why audacity is so important. But what I'm hearing is though, that you change the how you communicate to influence so others can see your truth and vision versus just going at it in spite of. Because as you said, with all of these traits, there's the positive upside of them, right. but there's also a dangerous side if you continually blindly going after something <clears throat> right. 
yeah. that others maybe it can't work at yeah. that time. Yeah. And at some point, no, 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 you you have to stop and you either yeah. change the game or start a new game at that yeah. point. Yeah. So but, but, down, but that's only but that's for you to decide. Yes. Right. So that's not for anyone else to make that decision for you. You know where that threshold of pain is for yourself. But what often happens is we start to hear the murmurs of others and we start to kind of doubt. Maybe, maybe we have, maybe we are like, this is, this is too, too outlandish. This is too crazy. But I, I have, I, you know, of course, like, are there, are there dangerous sides to this? I mean, look, Adam Newman from WeWork created a brilliant thing, but in the end he became hubristic, right? He was audacious, but in the end he became hubristic and got sent away, you know? Um, so, so yes, there's a definite dark side to this. I mean, you can absolutely drink your own Kool-Aid and believe your own medicine. And then the next thing you know, you know, like you're, you're just, you're not in reality at all to where you don't understand that what you're doing is, is destructive. But in some cases, you know, they're getting rare breed, rare breed had to be put out. Like I would not take no for an answer. Wouldn't take no for an answer. I love it. So for those listening who are now thinking, okay, am I a rare breed? What final thoughts do you have for them and, and how and where do they go and learn more? Well, I think you have to think about rare breed in the context of three things. One, yourself, right? So how does rare breed show up within you? What are these traits? What are that, what is that kind of dominant virtue that's sort of driving a lot of what you do? How do you learn to harness it in positive ways, you know, and also be very cognizant of the, the, the dark side? Um, part two is how do you show up as a rare breed leader? If you're leading a team, for example, I think it's extremely important to know the, the, the provocativeness and the power of that. So in other words, you know, we go into companies now and teach them this kind of rare breed mindset. Uh, and you know, leaders are supposed to be conventional, you know, steady, decisive, calculated opinion, you know, mm -hmm. diplomatic, logical, all, all these traits you should be. And those qualities are important, but rare breeds, they think very different. They eat the status quo for breakfast. You know, they're going to operate on a very different frequency and that's, what's going to make them great. And then if you are a leader of rare breed talent within teams, you also need to be looking at uh, who within your company is a rare breed. And are you, is your tendency to push them out or is your tendency to seek them out and actually bring them into the fold? So there's kind of like three layers to this. It's you as the self and your career mm -hmm. and where you're going with it. It's you as a leader and how you lead with this sort of mindset. And then also, how do you hire for those individuals in traditional companies where most rare breeds are, in fact, pushed out of companies? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just thinking about why we have a responsibility to first not only see it in ourselves, but then to recognize it in others. We will only be able to change this conversation when we stop othering the, the rare breed. And when we stop just treating them as if they've, you know, they're all the dark side, which is not always true. You know, some, yes, of course, sometimes they, they do possess those traits, but a lot of times they're, they're just untapped potential. So, you know, that's how I'd be thinking about it. And in terms of like how to find us, you know, you can go to wearemotto.com. That's where you can learn about our agency motto. 
And then uh, the book is on there, of course, Rare Breed. You can also take the quiz at rarebreedquiz.com. We have a YouTube show where we sit down with cultural provocateurs and we interview people like Charlemagne the God, John Batiste, uh, you know, just recently PJ Morton from Maroon 5. And we talk about how they've used one of these mm-hmm. seven traits to unlock their careers. So there's a tremendous amount of content um, to, to get that. And of course, you can hire us to come and talk about uh, these topics, whether speaking or um, going into teams and helping them align their leaders around some of this interesting thinking, you know, because it does change the way they uh, they operate in the world and gives them a true competitive edge. So it's 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 interesting that it's become more than a book. I always knew it would be, but I didn't realize at the time that it could be it could be it's almost like the thinking of rare breed is actually bigger than the book itself. Yeah. Well, Sunny, thanks for giving us a brief insight today. I encourage everyone, go to the YouTube channel. Those interviews will blow your mind. Take the quiz so that you can understand your own rare breed, but step into your truth because the world needs all of us to be defiant, dangerous, and different as we can only be. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learn something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today and remember, Business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.